Hey guys, and welcome to What the Fuck's Up podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Kelly, and I'm having so much trouble recording this intro today, so I sincerely apologize for it coming out a little later this morning than usual, but not to worry, we have a great episode in store for today. So basically, I don't know if you guys saw, but I was just on vacation, which was amazing. It was my first time traveling since March of 2020, um, and I feel so lucky. Got pretty affordable flights to and from St. Martin, did a day in St. Bart's, which was amazing because I grew up going there intermittently with my family and family friends. And yeah, I went with my friend Eva and her two friends, and we just had a really, really lovely time. So a little sad to be back in this gloomy weather, but also glad to get some rest before heading to Chicago for my friend Mira's birthday. Happy birthday, Mira. Today is the day of her birth, October 13th, and my friend Madison and Dylan Farella. It's everyone's birthdays. So hopefully you guys saw I did some polls yesterday that pertain to today's episode. Um, So I'm going to go through those now. Thank you everyone who partook and for your answers. It's so great to have you guys interact like this and um, it's what makes the podcast worth doing. So thank you again. All right. First poll question was, have you ever felt that your mental health slash stress state has affected your eating? And 94% of you said yes, or in the poll terms, oh yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Um, Allie and I get into it more, but basically these two things can feed one another and it can be pretty cyclical. So watch out for that when you're eating or stress eating, which I do far too often. The next question is, do you dabble in diet culture slash fad diets or do you try to eat well consistently? 75% of you said eat well consistently, so that's great. I think in general that's for the best. I get that people want to try things or, you know, your doctor may suggest a diet. There are different situations for everyone, but personally, like, when I've seen my friends do diets, it kind of just... I don't know, it it can get into tricky waters with eating disorder stuff or disordered eating, which we talk about, but again, Allie has more expertise on this because she is a registered dietitian. Next question was, married or soon-to-be-married listeners, did or do you feel the pressure to get thin for the big day, aka shedding for the wedding? Um, So we definitely get into this in the episode as Allie just got married this year. Um, and 74% of you said, yes, I was nervous, which I totally get. It's a big day. You're in the spotlight. Um, you have a lot of people in your life showing up and you want everything to be perfect. But Allie and I discuss a little bit more how you should be reframing what you want to look like for the big day so that you're not putting so much pressure on yourself since your wedding is supposed to be fun, believe it or not. I say as if I'm anywhere near having one. And then I followed up with, if you do or did feel pressure to look skinnier for your wedding, basically, can you please share your experience? So I got a lot of answers for this one, um, but the main ones I'll read, one that was interesting was one of my guy friends responded saying, 
that his sister is currently going through this and she was complaining to him yesterday basically about the pressure she feels. Then one of Allie and my friends responded saying, definitely feel major pressure. I feel like our culture just expects brides to be the best version of themselves, which equates to being skinny. Plus pressure from how my friends acted as brides as well. Um, I think that's a great point, like especially if a bunch of your friends are getting married at once. I'm sure that can be super stressful and you can all like feed into each other's like worries or insecurities. So I'm not there yet, but I've, I've heard it from friends and I get it. To listeners or viewers who grew up in New York City or similar cities, for some background, Allie and I discussed this. We both grew up in New York City, knew each other in high school. Do you feel that the thin ideal or pressure to be thin was magnified at your school? And a whopping 88% said definitely. Um, so we definitely get into this and how that's especially true sometimes at all-girls schools or even just schools where perfectionism is kind of expected from the students. So then I followed up with, what was your experience with eating thin ideals, etc. growing up in New York City or somewhere similar? Um, got lots of responses for this as well. The first one that I want to address, because I thought I had spoken about it with Allie in the episode, turns out I just thought about it during the episode, didn't say anything. But one of the responses I got was regarding Pyatt. So for people who don't know, in New York City especially, for senior spring break of high school, and there are versions of this everywhere, I'm sure, like whether it's PI or not, but people will go to Paradise Island for their senior spring break, and when I was younger, there was this idea that you had to do like a pie before, aka a diet for PI, which is so insanely toxic. Hopefully Gen Zs are like more woke than this and don't do this themselves because no one benefited from this. Um, and yeah, it was something that really stressed people out. I didn't go because I went on a course trip, but <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but a lot of people did. And I asked Allie for her two cents on it, and she summed it up beautifully, saying that she would basically say it's this insane pressure to look a certain way that's detrimental to the confidence and self-worth of an 18-year-old girl or guy. That narrows their worth down to whether guys will like them, down to what they look like in a bikini, which is so incredibly harmful, not only for their short-term, but for their long-term mental and physical health. Couldn't have said it better myself, truly. Some more stories I got. This one's heartbreaking. One of uh, my friends and listeners said in eighth grade, somebody called me the chubby one who thinks she's pretty. It has stuck with me ever since. Um, especially for the younger listeners, but you know, any age, remember that this stuff stings and people remember it. Be careful with your words. They can really, they can have a long lasting impact. Okay. Um, one of my other listener friends said, I grew up in LA obviously, but it was fully normal for all of my friends to simply not eat their lunch or give it away. Um, definitely remember this or like, the friend who was having eating issues being like, oh, somebody take my fries, somebody take this, somebody take that, which I'm sure I've been guilty of in the past as well. Another listener who grew up in New York City with me said, people referring to pooping as losing weight in the bathroom, which is horrifying. Yeah, I don't even know what else to say that. 
And then finally, I had a listener who had a pretty intense go of it. Um, She said, it's an absolute nightmare. All girls' schools are breeding grounds for these problems, which I totally agree with. But it's interesting because, like, I'm such a proponent of all girls' school. But I think when girls are, you know, striving for this degree of perfection and then kind of egging each other on, it can get bad. Um, And she had you know, a good amount to say about it. She went through a lot with it, but basically she said that the perfectionism is toxic. She talks about how her senior year, everyone was especially bad with it, dieting for prom or PI, which we discussed, didn't even think about prom. And then she said that the girls were 10 times worse in her year, and there were five girls who were really open about calling each other frail as if it were a compliment um and would comment on each other's photos and stuff like you're so frail like yes frail queen frail which is so scary because it definitely connects the idea that women shouldn't take up space and should be weak and i hate that anyways on that note um this episode does get into some intense stuff trigger warning i guess i should have done that earlier but it also is really informative We don't only talk about the eating disordered stuff, but Allie breaks down a lot of information in a really digestible way, no pun intended. So without further ado, here's today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What the Fuck's Up podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Kelly, and today I'm joined by Allie Rubin Major, who is a longtime friend and is also a newly appointed, what do I say? My brain's not working right now. You are a registered dietitian. That works. Perfect. There we go. (laughs) And a certified life coach. So Allie and I both grew up in New York City and went to very similar private schools, all girls schools. Allie went to Spence. I went to Nightingale. Um, And then afterwards, Allie went to UPenn and more recently trained at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center under a private practice that specializes in women's health. So welcome, Allie. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so excited to get really into the topic of like eating, dieting, diet culture, all the good things. So yeah, welcome on. How are you doing today? Good. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about everything, women's health, eating disorders, et cetera, with you. Um, And yeah, super happy to be here. Yay. Okay. So just to start off, do you want to give our listeners a little background? Obviously, I just did my classically butchered intro. (laughs) But um, yeah, just like in your own words, what you've been up to and how you got into the whole dietitian world and, you know, what makes you unique about being both a registered dietitian and a certified life coach, because that's an awesome combo. Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah. So I'm going to start from the beginning because I have a Mm -hmm. pretty I would say not complicated, but interesting career trajectory. Um, So I went to University of Pennsylvania undergrad, as you said, and I honestly there didn't know that being a dietitian was a career that people could have. Um, I know that sounds (laughs) silly, but people at Penn, it was very pre-professional. So it was like you were in marketing, consulting, banking, a lawyer or doctor. So 
like you follow one of those like five or six paths. And um, I did, I worked at L'Oreal for around two years in their marketing analyst program. And I worked um, on Ralph Lauren fragrances and long comb makeup. Quite, not- yeah. That's such a different start. I was wondering, cause I was like, this is definitely a newish trajectory. Exactly. For you. Yeah. And you might yeah. even remember, like, I was into wellness and stuff in in high school. I don't know if you totally. like even knew. I was like into like exercise studio classes when like other people didn't do that. <laughs> well, also, Allie would like have parties at her house. Like, I remember we did the Super Bowl once. That was so fun. Yes. And you hosted. Oh my God, that was yeah. So fun. And then you'd have like your um, like Olympic game things. That was also so fun. And so you'd fun. always have the best snacks and they were like healthy <laughs> and good. And I would like not only look forward to the, like these events to see you and our friends and stuff, but I would be like, I know she's going to have like a dope snack. <laughs> it's so funny. I was literally just thinking about the Olympic games that we had at this house. Bring it, it was back. So fun. I know we need, we need to bring it back. But anyway, so it was at L'Oreal, honestly, um, not to hate on L'Oreal, but I hated working there. But it sucked. Um, no, it wasn't, honestly, I learned so much. So like, I'm very grateful for that. I was in like a very intense marketing program. And then I went on from the marketing program to be an, an assistant manager for long makeup, as I said, which is like kind of ironic knowing me, like I hate putting on makeup. I like hate every, I hate like getting ready. It's like, <laughs> um, but I think it's an all girls school thing too, where we're just like used to waking up and like rolling and, in like, and not trying to impress exactly. guys. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, and I've always loved working in the, uh, not just working in because like I did it on the side when I was working at L'Oreal, like trying new like fitness studios and things like that. And I honestly thought that I really wanted to work in fitness. Like that was my life goal to like be the CEO of some boutique fitness company. Um, yeah, like and, Melissa would health vibes, like that yeah, kind of exactly. Yeah. Like then at the time it was like Soul Cycle, and I was like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna be the CEO of Soul Cycle. But then like <laughs> as time went on, like clearly like it wasn't gonna happen. But I was introduced to the founder of Fitting Room, the founder and CEO of Fitting Room. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a boutique fitness studio in New York City. She's an incredible, yeah. incredible woman, a brilliant businesswoman. Um, who basically has my entire philosophy like around exercise, like do what you love um, mm-hmm. and do it a couple times a week and move your body like the way that you want to. And it's a hit studio. So high intensity interval training, very, very specific. You can obviously hurt yourself very easily at a lot of these classes. So I yeah. um, was really into the fact that they had two instructors for every class. There are only 24 people per class. Anyway, it was like an entire women founded company super into that as well. Um, So I actually left uh, L'Oreal to lead their marketing and absolutely loved it. Have nothing but incredible things to say about the company, still work out there, but it was really there where I realized my passion for nutrition. Um, And I've always been this like counselor role in my friend group, um, but I never really like took it upon myself to like make it a career. Um, I was like, I'm not going to go to med school to be a psychiatrist and I didn't really, I didn't really, it's not that I didn't like school, but like, 
you knew what it was like going to you went to Nightingale Northwestern like going to these schools it's a like lot of work. it's yeah. so much work and like not that I wasn't I mean now that I've gone to <laughs> my master's for like almost three and a half years I'm like laughing at myself even saying this but like I just never loved what I did because it was always so stressful like I don't know if you th- feel the same way but like no going to Spence and Nightingale like it just was like it was like constantly like need to get an A need to like it was like college to college oh yeah a hundred percent so I was like oh I cannot deal with this like level of anxiety which we can like go through a little bit later in the podcast of like how that relates to like body image and stuff being at an all girls school and eating yeah 100 it's so intertwined yeah so intertwined so basically long story long story long i um (laughs) i always say that too (laughs) i um spoke to a lot of people who were dietitians and there are a bunch of different paths you can go down you can go down the like path of doing like some a certification to become a nutritionist or you can become a dietitian which and like to become a dietitian it's like a real real commitment and I studied I did not study science undergrad so I had to like retake a million classes I total have to take had to take over 25 classes um in order to become a dietitian and to get my master's in science um and I also had to complete a 1500 hour dietetic internship residency at Memorial Sloan Kettering um so it's very it's very similar to like it's not in length, it's different from becoming a doctor, but the actual like credentials that you need to, the actual hours and time that you need to put in is very similar um, in terms of the volunteering, the interning, the residency program, all this stuff that is so, so, so much work. And you have the same match matching program that doctors have actually, which a lot of people yeah. don't know. Um, and now I'm finally here. I passed my boards yes. in July and I'm so happy to finally be like taking clients, really doing the type of work that I feel like I was meant to be doing. Yeah. I mean, having known you for a while now, like, I feel like this is like, it makes so much sense. It's so in line with like you and your personality. Like you can tell, like even talking to you right now, you seem like so happy and like you're so on the oh, right thank track. You. No, it's true. And you had such a big year. You got married, mazel, like amazing. Thank you. Um, thank you. So yeah, big year for Allie this year, guys. Um, but yeah, that's so awesome. So I want to start getting into like, you were kind of hinting at the idea that like, you know, we grew up in an environment where eating, you know, we knew a lot of girls with eating disorders and like, I myself have had, I've talked about this on the podcast before, like I struggled with an eating disorder probably before we met, like really young, like in sixth grade, which is wild. Um, And like over the years would have like bouts of, you know, going back into it and like binging and purging or just like overworking out or under eating at Mm -hmm. times. Or like sometimes I would have it as a stress response, like breakups or, you know, really intense Mm -hmm. exam periods, finals, whatever. Um, And I, you know, from kind of looking over your work, it does seem like there's like this kind of feminist, you know, all girl school inspired like spin to what you do. Um, So if you want to get into that in your own words, I'd love to hear more about that and your experience and how that's kind of like inspired what you do now. 
For sure. So yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I really feel like going to an all girls school, like a hundred percent shaped me to be like where I am today. Um, as you said, um, I mean, Nangel and Spence, very, very similar environments. Like the entire school was riddled with disordered eating, um, and eating disorders. And just, I want to, I want to distinguish between disordered eating and eating disorders. So disordered yes, eating I was going to is... ask about that. I love that you have like a very clear distinct, because I think people don't get that. So yeah, right. that for sure. Okay, cool. So disordered eating is when you might check off some of the criteria for let's say like anorexia nervosa, bulimia, um, or a different type of eating disorder, but you don't check off all the boxes. So you can't be like diagnosed with said eating disorder, um, or you have a complicated relationship with food, things of that nature. Um, and honestly, 99.9% of the women that I work with have disordered eating. Um, whether they admit it, whether we talk about it being labeled as disordered eating, or whether we just work through it, um, I would say like emotional eating, disordered eating, things like that are very, very, very common. Um, and eating disorders are obviously um, when you can, when you check all those boxes, um, based off of certain criteria. Now, what I like to say is, um, you can still have a very, very severe disordered eating and not be like, quote, in that box of eating disorder criteria, um, which, which in like the medical world is a little iffy. Like I've worked with people who can't be like diagnosed with eating disorders, but I would suggest they go see somebody who specializes in eating disorders. Um, just because it's obviously, it can be, it can be a a problem that somebody has for their entire life. I could work with a 45 year old woman who's had this disordered eating for 30 years. Um, and that generational too, like a lot of girls who struggle with it or women, their mothers did, and they don't even know, or, you know, it's, it's, and it's also just like so much societal pressure on women and right. being thin, the thin ideal I know you talk about as well, but yeah. Totally. Um, and as you said, like with mothers, like so that's why the number one thing that like I vow to do as when I am a mother is how you talk about yourself is directly related to how your daughter feels about herself or how your son feels about himself. So if you say, oh, I feel fat. Oh, I don't like the way that I look that in turn is giving your daughter or your son something to think about about themselves. Um, and that in turn is, is really changing their psyche and the way that they're taught to talk about themselves versus you're beautiful, you're great, you're intelligent, you're incredibly driven and that your body like doesn't define who you are. Um, imagine your mother or your father saying that to you versus like, oh, I feel fat, oh, don't eat that. Um, that obviously will will really change your trajectory in terms of your relationship with your body and your relationship with food. So, I mean, I, I encourage like even the listeners who are listening to this, like think about how your mother or father talked or your caretaker talked about their own bodies and how that in turn determined how you felt about yourself. Um, and if you're a mother or a father, I encourage you to be kind to think your body because, be because your children, yeah. yeah, your children are listening. Um, so back to going to an all girls school, I mean, that's why I feel like being a certified life coach, which I actually forgot to mention in your previous question. So basically I went to NYU school of professional studies um, before I went back to school to be a dietitian, to get my, to be a certified life coach, just to make sure that like, this was the path that I really wanted to be on. Um, and 
it was a lot of training in positive psychology and coaching. And it is really is the perfect combination for counseling. Um, a lot of the, the schooling that I did was really, really science heavy. So like orgo, biochem, regular chemistry, mm-hmm. anatomy, physiology. So like while that's incredibly important and you're learning like medical nutrition therapy too, you don't necessarily learn the counseling side and the track in the school that I went to. I went to NYU um, for grad school. And the life coaching program really allowed me to be like a holistic counselor. So like it allowed me to work. It now allows me to use ways of counseling um, that a lot of my peers are now like really trying to learn when they're trying to like work in private practice and stuff like that, because it's just not stuff we learn in school, which is crazy. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, it, it really helps in terms of working with women, in terms of working with girls, in terms of working with like adolescents um, and going to an all girls school, you really realize like, I don't know if you had a team of people working with you, but I, when I, when you had an eating disorder, but especially for women, like growing up um, in New York city, it's, it's riddled with disordered eating and it's not obviously just New York city, but I very, very often suggest that these people have like teams of people if that is like financially possible so you're working with like a dietitian a therapist um people who really specialize in disordered eating and eating disorders and and I really find that the life coaching certification that I did also can bridge like that gap versus just like hardcore counseling um Mm -hmm. through like a science lens it's like a it's a mixture between like a personal and science lens yeah Which I think in like a lot of, sorry to cut you off, but I think in a lot of like medical fields is start, like these different, you know, specialties are starting to see the benefits of doing that. Like I know I've started personally seeking out doctors who also have like a holistic approach. Obviously science is super important. Um, Not going to deny that, but like it is important to bring like the body and mind into it. And you think about like Eastern medicine that's been around forever. So incorporating some of those like less scientific practices in, but to make it a more well-rounded kind of point of view, I think is so important. Um, So it's awesome that you're doing that. Especially with eating disorders, like you can't ignore like the anxiety and food, like the the relationship between anxiety and food and intake. So like you can't. It's a control thing too. It's It's like, yeah. 100%. Um, And yeah, I mean, like you can't, like you don't eat, your your depression gets worse, your depression Mm -hmm. gets worse, so you continue to not eat, then your depression gets, it's, it's a, obviously a cyclical it's a cyclical there's a cyclical nature to mental illness and eating disorders so yeah yeah, that's why the like team approach is like so important definitely yeah I I didn't have a team per se I actually it's so interesting like you know starting to get older and feeling like old I'm like ah hence the podcast (laughs) (laughs) like the nature of the podcast but um but the way it was approached when I was like 12 and first started having issues for me, a lot of it was that I was applying out to different high schools and like, Mm -hmm. I just felt so overwhelmed by the pressure of doing that. Like for the New York city private school scene, like obviously we're super privileged to have been part of it, but it is, it's really cutthroat. Like that was one of the hardest processes, like, you know, on a, 
I don't know, like it was really hard to go through basically. Um, so I found myself feeling like I physically needed to like get some kind of release or have some control over the way Mm -hmm. I looked and the two Mm -hmm. went hand in hand. Um, and so that's when it started for me. And once my parents started picking up on it, like I lost my period for a while, all that stuff. Um, yeah, they sent me to a specialist who I ended up working with one of her associates and still do to this day, which is kind of amazing because it's great, but it's like, it's like young, like woman's health. And I'm like, no, I love it. I'm starting to be one of the older patients, whatever. (laughs) Um, but this doctor in particular, I did not like, and I have a lot of friends Mm. who've worked with her and felt very similarly that I met once I did go to Nightingale, but, um, but she had a very like old school approach to it, which was very much like I would assume you would not agree with where she was like, keep a diary of what you're eating every day so you can make sure you're eating enough calories. And it's like that in itself is frightening to someone who, you know, is scared they're eating too much. And then she's like, and drink these like protein shakes with like 700 calories twice a day. I was like, no. And basically I like pleaded to my parents. I was like, please just let me kind of figure this out on my own, which is not something that I'm sure you'd recommend or like that would work most of the time. But I hated this doctor so much that I was like, I will figure it out. I'll go to therapy or whatever. But like, I can't deal with her. Like she's not doing it the right way. It's not like gradual. It's very like zero to a hundred. And that doesn't work for me personally. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So I kind of gradually over time, like kind of overcame it myself weirdly. Um, Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. I mean, obviously I had like slip ups over the years, but more or less, like I would say uh, kind of switched from like full on full-blown eating disorder. I was diagnosed as both anorexic and bulimic, um, to, which is horrible because then you're hardly eating and throwing up what you are eating. Um, Mm. to like, just, I would say based on how you were defining it, like having intermittent, uh, disordered eating kind of bouts, um, which I still have, like, it's so funny. I was thinking about this earlier. It's so ironic that I have you on today because, the past week or so, I was saying a little when we uh, first got on the Zoom call, but I've been so stressed just like with work stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've really found myself like stress eating in a way that's like mm-hmm. not cool. Um, part of that for me is that I was on like, it's a long story, but I'll tell you after, but I was on this like way too uh, strong of a dose of antibiotics because I was mm-hmm. exposed to strep by someone I was having relations with. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that really fucked with my stomach um, because Mm -hmm. it was too long. It was way too high of a dose, especially for like my size and stuff. And that kind of like triggered like IBS type stuff. And ever since then, I've like Mm -hmm. found myself like falling back into stress eating patterns, like I don't know if you've ever like had this sensation, but it's like, it's as if like, I'm either so full or 
it, I have like hunger pains. Like it feels like there's like mm. nothing in my stomach mm. and there's like no happy medium. So I'm actually uh, going to a doctor who's like kind of has the holistic vibe as well, but mm. does like testing for your gut to see like if I have any, you know, anything else going on. Cause I've gotten to the point where I'm like, no, this has been two months. Like I'm good. <laughs> I'm ready to not feel sick every morning when I wake up. But yeah. Anyways, that was a long digression, but no, yeah. I am. Um, well, first off, I want to say like, thank you for sharing your story with me and, and like trusting in me. But I will say that in terms of once you have an eating disorder and once you're diagnosed, mm-hmm. like you always have an eating disorder. It's just True. when you, it's just, it's just when it is that like little voice inside your head or it's that like that, that like devil on your shoulder that you're able to squash. So in order for it to be something that is always something that you can squash, you have to continually work on yourself. And it's so Mm. hard. And like, I commend and I am so like proud of every woman I know who's been diagnosed because there are so many things that can set people off. It can be like as little as like a fight with someone that can make having your like eating disorder voice back in your head. Um, And it takes so much courage and so much work on yourself to become that person that can squash the eating disorder voice. And I know how, how hard that can be Um, as someone I never even said this, and I'm not even really public about this either, but happy to talk about it. Um, Mm. In high school struggled with eating as well. So um, it, it, it becomes now that it's really my profession, you really to like dedicate your life to women to be able to squash that eating disorder voice and like have a better positive body image, etc. is really an incredible thing to feel like you're doing every day. Um, And I, I I'm proud of you for, for overcoming what you dealt with when you were younger, but also continually working on yourself because at the end of the day, like you are your biggest advocate. And like the fact that you were even be able, you were even able to overcome that yourself is like truly thank outstanding. You. So cool. Yeah. Thank you. You're so sweet. Um, so for the listeners, do you have like any tips or things that you would tell people you work with to do like when it comes to squashing that voice or like, you know, developing a better self talk? in self-dialogue when it comes to eating just yeah for sure yeah yeah so I am a huge fan of mantras um I have a note in my phone even for myself about um not even related to eating but just like anything related to like anything that you can overcome or anything that's stressful in your life um whether that be like I've done this before I'm capable of doing it again or like I don't these are just examples obviously that like general examples or like having post-it notes on my mirror that say like that say like you look beautiful today or like you like go go crush the day or like things like that that Mm -hmm. can really like are positive reinforcements um or even like having something that you read through on your phone background for example whether that be again like you're beautiful or like you don't want to go through what you went through before. Like you don't want to have once you're, as you know, like once you're out of that eating disorder voice, like it's such a horrible place to be um, for your, it's all you think about 24 seven. Like you can't have relationships with people. You can't, 
you, you can't do it anything takes over your life yeah like I remember I think one of the hardest parts for me and I'm sure this is something that anyone who struggled with eating stuff yeah. can relate to is when you go out to like dinners and stuff oh, like it's so overwhelming it's like yeah. you're not even listening to the conversation mm-hmm. to a certain extent because you're trying to think of like how can I make it not obvious I'm not eating enough like a yeah. lot or not drinking a lot so I can you know, not deal with those calories or should, if I go a little overboard, should I throw up after? Like, it's so fucked. It's Mm -hmm. so all consuming. And then as you said, it perpetuates more anxiety and Mm -hmm. more, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. feelings of being low because you're then not having the energy to like get through your day. Like we eat to fuel us throughout the day. It's not just like, as a you know an activity or something it's like a necessity yeah right yeah no (laughs) food is medicine food is fuel and fuel food is how you survive um Mm -hmm. and you're 100 percent right like you it's so hard to an eating disorder voice basically like takes over any other voice or thought that you like have in your head so if you're out to dinner with friends and you're out to dinner or like something like that even looking at a menu can like cause you to not be able to be a part of a conversation for 10 minutes because you're so fixated all consumed and fixated on like what you should eat and how caloric it is or how it'll make you feel and a lot of the times what I see with with disordered eating and eating disorder clients is that like you need to you're so sick of having it rule your life Um, And you finally want to get that help. Um, And I find that the clients who really, really are able to squash an eating disorder voice are clients that are so remind themselves very often Mm. of how it really was all consuming through every aspect of their life. I mean, how they never want to be there again and focusing on every single thing that is so much better now that you've overcome it. So what are my relationships like? What is my work life? Like, how is my energy? How do I feel mentally and physically? And how did I feel when I had an eating disorder? And compare and contrast the list because I guarantee you every single time you're gonna come out on the other side and know that the con list is way, 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 way more than the pro list of when you have that eating disorder voice and everything you've conquered and accomplished outside of the eating disorder is incredible and amazing. And you'll, you'll look at the list and say like, Oh my God, like I have done so much to better myself and my, my career, my social life, my personal well being outside of my eating disorder. And that's what I want to continue. And that's what I'm going to continue. A hundred percent. And it's so true. And I think that's actually like such good advice to, to people who are struggling with it or kind of coming out of it or, you know, rebounding a bit is to just like literally make a list for yourself of like Mm -hmm. ways that you feel. Because when I think of that time, it's like, oh my God, it was so heavy. It was so exhausting. It's like such a weight off your shoulders to not have to deal with it. Um, uh, What's her face? Kate Moss was so wrong when she said nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. She really, I wonder, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, I wonder if she feels like she, like, being older and stuff. I mean, I haven't heard about her in years now, really. But, like, Mm -hmm. if she feels like she has, like, blood on her hands in a way. Like, I feel like she really, like, 
she caused a whole wave of eating issues, which is so wild. Yeah, and the modeling industry, with that quote alone, like, I remember, like, people would have it as, like, their phone backgrounds, and people would, like, so fucked up. Like, companies made it as, like, pillows for, like, decoration in people's houses. It's it's wild. Or people would, like, joke about feed the models. It's like, whoa, can we talk about why the models are starving themselves before we, like, make fun of it? Insane. Yeah, truly, what a truly time. crazy. I mean, <laughs> what honestly, a time I'm to be so, alive. In what, what a time! What a time! <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know about you, but what I also mm-hmm. see, which like maybe some of your listeners can really um, connect with, is like the high functioning aspect of having eating an eating disorder. Like, I'm sure people looked at you in high school and were like, "Oh my god, she is has so many friends. She like has a boyfriend. She's going to a great college." Like she gets good grades like she has it all but really inside mm. you're drowning and like that is a totally. really that is a really 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 common thing i remember i i will never forget a conversation i had with my advisor at spence mm-hmm. she was like how do you get straight a's and have a boyfriend and have like a social life on the weekends and like do it all and I like literally like broke down in tears and I'm like I Mm. on the outside it's so obvious that like oh yeah like you're going to a great school you have a boyfriend you like are doing like you look like you have it all yeah and really it's like this high functioning aspect of disordered eating with like the control aspect that is so common in Mm. near especially in like very high functioning people and people who are very type a like me and Mm -hmm. you and people who people who are are used to succeeding and doing well um perfectionism and and perfectionism yeah Yeah. and like you're so grateful to be able to like be past that stage of your life um and when you grow up in like the environment we grew up in as much as we loved it it at Mm -hmm. times is so so hard and like looking back it's like wow, I cannot believe that, like, my high school was harder than my college experience. I know. Mine was, too. It's so crazy. Because also in college, you can kind of, like, not, you know, not necessarily your freshman year, but after some time, like, kind of create your own schedule in a way that's, like, pretty relaxed, honestly. So comparatively, like, to, like, you know, really... I guess by senior year of high school too, it's a little more relaxed, but still that's like once you get into college before then all bets are off. Um, I remember we found out we got into college on the same night. I vividly remember that. That's so cute. It was on my birthday too. Mid-December? December 9th. That was a good day. Yep. Great day. (laughs) December 9th, 2011. Gotta love it. Great day. Gotta love it. Um, Also, I was pulling something up when you were saying that because I just had, excuse me, I just had uh, Sarah Levy on, who is also from like the East Coast, kind of, you know, went to similar type of school, a Mm -hmm. similar situation. And she brought up a term I'd never heard of before. And I think it's so interesting um, and kind of applied it to, you know, the category that we would both fall into and kind of what you were mentioning before, um, which is apparently it was coined uh, at Duke University in like the early 2000s, but it was called effortless perfection. And Mm -hmm. they found that like, especially the girls, the, you know, 
girls who were attending Duke felt this like overwhelming pressure to be perfect and to juggle all these different aspects Mm. of their life Mm. and like but had to make it seem like seamless and like it really wasn't a big deal they were just like able to magically do it which I think is like something that still is an issue today years later um and I know something I like try to hold myself to like Talk And, you know, it can lead to burnout. And I've talked about that on the podcast before, too. Like earlier this year, I totally burnt out and like it's not a great feeling. So to anyone listening, effortless perfection is not as great as it seems. Don't fall into the trap. It's not worth it. Take time for yourself. As mm-hmm. Allie's background says, relax once in a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh you cool, I literally am in the same room I had when I was a child. So that's I know. I love it. So I was just going to say that you're 100% right. Like how and like also being honest with like your peers and like the people who support you and the people you support too. like to be able to check in on a friend and for a friend mm-hmm. to be like, how are you doing? And for you to be able to be honest and like versus cover it up. Like I remember like I used to not even like tell people when I was like having a bad day. And like now that I feel like I can be even like open with other people, like that automatically like makes you feel like other people can also share it with you. And you yeah, realize it makes that- you closer to people. Yeah. Exactly. And like you also realize that like the people who seem like they're, this effortless, effortlessly perfect person, like nobody is like literally nobody totally. is. And I can promise you that. Not even and Beyonce. I not even it. Beyonce. <laughs> Did you hear a lemonade guys? <laughs> <laughs> so oh, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. hundred percent right. I love that term. Um, yeah, I thought that was so interesting. Anyways, I love that. And thank you also for being, you know, open and honest with me. Oh, I, I love the episodes where we can get a little deeper and vulnerable because I think it really, you know, these are the episodes that are important and can help people and people can resonate with it and mm-hmm. feel less alone, which is all you want at the end of the day. Um, okay, so let's move into quarter life qualms. So mm, if you're it. new to the podcast, <laughs> yes. If you're new to the podcast, basically the explicit theme of the podcast is being in your 20s and figuring out what the fuck you're doing with your life. So this is just a segment where we get a little more into your 20s specifically and the guest's experience with it. So the first question is, what was something you went through in your 20s that you felt like was difficult or you struggled with or if you had a quarter life crisis what would that time have been um i think that from the age of like 21 to 24 i was really trying to find myself um in terms like of professionally and personally um i feel honestly grateful that I found myself professionally. I mean, like we're 27 and I feel like I, I'm, it's rare that I have found that. Um, But it was really hard. Like again, with the, the notion that like, we're supposed to have figured it out. um, And that we had like all these, we're so fortunate and, and so grateful for the educational opportunities that we've had. And then to like, not feel like you had it figured out. Um, and that you yeah, were really un- unhappy pressure. on a day-to-day basis, like in the job that I was in, like 
waking up every day being like, how can this be my life for the rest of my life? Like, how can I feel fulfilled? Like I, I wanted to wake up every day knowing that I was helping other people in a way, in a field where I could be passionate about whatever I was doing. Um, and that's ultimately how I ended up where I am today. So it was a struggle for me to like mentally really challenging to figure out how I can help people to the best of my abilities. Um, and also say, stay sane. Like I always want to, I, I always want to figure out a way that I can help my clients and my friends like the utmost possible, but then also taking a step back and like taking time for myself, as you said. Um, mm. so yeah, for me, that was hard. Um, I think, I have always had, um, I have a twin brother and mm -hmm. we're really close. So that also for me was like creating my own separate identity from him was also something that I had to work on, which honestly, That's my so parents, interesting. Yeah. my parents did an incredible job. Shout out to Amy and Richard. Um, we never went to school together. So actually it's not true. We went to nursery school together, but we went to, <laughs> we, went to separate middle schools and high schools. And I think that that like really helped us develop separate identities. Um, also, cause he's a boy. So like that intern was also easier, but making sure that like we had our own paths and like not using competition and comparing ourselves too much. I don't know if that at all was challenging for him, but for me it was. <laughs> so yeah, that makes um, sense. Cause you're both so like, I mean, I know James as well. And like, you're both so smart and hardworking. So I'm sure at times, like maybe if he had his, I, I don't know, but maybe if he had his career figured out a little sooner or was a little more happy, like off the bat or something like that, like I could totally see how that's stressful for you, you know, even though it doesn't matter, obviously you're still individuals and leading right, separate right, lives, right, right. but it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And he really also helped me like come into the career decisions that I made. Um, like he he was really a proponent of like my going back to school and like following my passion because I had people in my life tell me that I shouldn't do it. Um, and I think there's that, always going to be people who say to play yeah, safe and it's yeah. so annoying. And I, I totally hear you on that, but it's good. You didn't listen. You listened to your gut, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I also think like finding, I mean, I, I was lucky that I met my husband, my now husband, weird saying that word, um, at, <laughs> at, a, at a younger age. Um, like we met right after I graduated college. He didn't go to college with me, but we met. So like, I feel like I knew, I had like dated, I mean, you have probably met a plethora of my ex-boyfriends, <laughs> but... <Yes. laughs> Shout out if you guys are listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I also want to thank them for allowing me to find my husband because because I would not have, like, known that, like, he was the right person. Um, I really feel like – I mean, look, everybody's different, but I feel like all my ex-boyfriends, like, made me so happy to meet my husband because he, like, was exactly what I needed in a partner um, and being able to – really like grow with each other um, and discuss like what we need and expect from a partner because we both had experiences with past partners that like weren't good. Um, mm -hmm. And also like, in my opinion, like even if you are, even if you are like on good terms with a partner, like all my high school slash college boyfriend, like 
made me realize, made me like overcome some like eating things and anxiety things that like Mm. he didn't even know about at the time and like made me like seek out to become like a better person because I didn't want him knowing about it, which like was, is really funny. Like now thinking back on it, but like, I vividly remember like, okay, Allie, like you can't show anxiety about this. So like you need to seek out help or like my mom was also like a very, very integral part of like me becoming, becoming like the best version of myself from like my high school self. But, um, it's really interesting, like looking back on your past relationships, relationships and seeing like, okay, what worked, what didn't work. And like, I feel like my, instead of like the quarter life crisis, I feel like it was like an 18 to 20 or like really like 16 to 23 for me. We're like really, really. Yeah. You were ahead of the curve. Yeah. We're really years where I, I mean, I've always felt like an old soul. Like I, I feel like yeah. even when people I feel were, that from you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you have like motherly energy. Too, oh well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Well, when people, yeah, I mean, like, I've always really, really been like all about bettering myself, and I think that's because I've had to better myself mm-hmm. mentally from a young age, and I think that that's only done me at the time. It it felt like it didn't do me well, but now I feel like I'm so in touch with my emotions that like I know when I need to seek out help or when I need to talk to a friend about something or when I need to bring up a conversation with my husband or my mom or a brother, anything like that. So I think that as you get older, like it's just so important and like your relationships that you've had in the past and any struggle you've had in the past can only help you in the future because you know how to deal with it and you know how to overcome it. Yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, that's part of why I asked the question because I think, I mean, I, I'm sure there are exceptions to every rule, but I think for the most part, everyone who's come on, and I know from my own experience, like these shitty dark times end up being like such yeah. learning lessons yeah, and yeah. so integral mm-hmm. to, you know, finding yourself um, like later in your 20s or whenever it happens for you individually. So yeah, I love that answer. Um, okay, to go to the next question, the next question is basically like, what was one of your favorite parts of your 20s, but I'm going to be annoying and kind of answer it for you because I want to hear more about your now husband. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) like, how did you meet? Guys, we haven't talked in years. It's so crazy. Um, It just, you know, it's so hard because like, I feel like, we're both the kind of people where we went to like camp we went to yeah Mm -hmm. high schools we had friends in other high schools we went to big colleges and then you know you meet your friends after it's like you kind of like can fall out of touch so easily but I want to hear about how you guys met like that seems like that was like one of the best parts of your 20s I assume definitely yeah going out on a limb here but (laughs) no for sure um I how did we meet okay so I worked at L'Oreal at the time I had worked with someone that he went to college with. He went to Michigan. Um, and we matched on a dating app. I don't even think it's around anymore. It was called what the was league. It? The league. 
Oh, it's still around. It's still around. It's still around. <laughs> She's like, I'm married and I've not been on dating no, apps for a while. No, no, no. I just know that people now are on like Hinge and Bumble and like not, yeah. or, or even if they are, I don't know. I literally yeah. think like a grandma, you can edit this part out. But No, I- <laughs> I'm definitely not going to. No, it's funny. I love it. Um, I, I feel like people use it a little less because like the free version gives you like three people a day. And it's like, oh, that's what's annoying. the point? Yeah, it's yeah, annoying. Yeah, no. Um, no offense, League. If you want to work with me, I can change my tune. But <laughs> no, but so we no, had okay. we, we met through we matched in the league, but we actually never talked. We never talked on the app. So I screenshotted his profile to our mutual friend, and he saw that I worked at L'Oreal, and he knew his friend worked at L'Oreal, so he screenshotted my profile too, and he sent it to oh. her, and he would. And he was like, do you know this girl? And I was like, do you know this guy? And she was like, I'm just going to send you her number because you both did the same exact thing. That's Um, so funny. Yeah. So then we went on a first date in like January 2017-ish. And yeah, that's really how we met. And like he is 30 now so he was around like 26 when we met so mm-hmm. a lot of like growing up a lot of a lot for both of us a lot of like professional and personal moments and yeah it's been obviously awesome and we got married this past June yes congratulations Guys, Allie had so many dresses and they were all so pretty. <laughs> Literally, I was like, I had at least two friends and I don't want this to make you feel weird at all where we were like actively following your dress journey and we were like, ooh, I really like this one. They're like, no, this one's my favorite. <laughs> like, oh my God, you're so the epic. sweetest. You're the sweetest. Thank you. <laughs> it I- truly was epic. I admittedly worked hard on my wedding wardrobe. I will tell you that I did. Um, yeah. And it was really fun. It was hard because it was in the depths of COVID, like when we were in yeah. lockdown. So it was hard, but I had a lot of fun. That was like my favorite, one of my favorite parts of wedding planning was the Yeah. Dresses. Well, it was super beautiful. Thank um, you. Yeah. And then this is kind of taking a, a little more of a going back to the deep, you know, more intense route. Um, yeah. But something I wanted to talk about that I know you've talked about you have your series. Um, what is it called? The series that you do? Mythbusting like- Mondays. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Mythbusting Mondays, um, which kind of relates to our game later teaser, mm. everyone. But um, but where you talk about like shedding for the wedding, like mm-hmm. the pressure to be thin for your wedding. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that, and if you felt that pressure, or if considering the work you do, uh, if you kind of were able to like move past it. Just yeah, for all sure. That stuff. Yeah. So I, um, anyone's listening, I have like an, an, an IGTV on like my personal path in it, but like, obviously we'll go into it on here too. So basically there's this whole terminology shedding for the wedding that like, you're supposed to have this like incredibly thin bone like figure when you're, when you're a bride. I don't know who came up with this. I don't know. I don't know why it exists, but so it does. Fucked up. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, I'm also the lead dietitian for a personal training studio. And a lot of people go there because they want to look their best for their wedding. Whatever best means to them is like up to their own interpretation. But I usually say to them, like, okay, why do you want to look the way that you want to look? 
um, is it because you personally want to or because you feel like there's this like societal ideal that you have to fit into? Um, do you, what is your relationship with food look like? Like, do you, if you lost weight, would you be at an unhealthy underweight? So what does that actually look like for each individual person? And why do you want to look a certain way? Like, do you want to look like your strongest, fittest, healthiest self? And that's like what I encourage people to want to look like. If that includes weight loss, then that's fine. But why? Um, And in my opinion, you should want to look in 20, 30 years back at your wedding photos and say, wow, like I felt so amazing in my body and I felt really strong and really fit and like I was the greatest version of myself whether that means like working out more lifting weights getting muscular learning how to incorporate nourishing and nutritious foods into your diet to like Mm. become that person of that become that best version of yourself then great but if your sole goal is to be as thin as possible that's where I like to bring in the why Um, and really try to rework some of that language that people use and also rework your brain of why you actually think and feel that way. Um, Mm. And a lot of the time, I've actually come to the conclusion with a lot of my clients that they want to look like themselves. Like they they just have this like ideal of what they should look like. And then after a few few sessions, they're like, you know what, Allie, like, I'm sick of fitting into this box. Like I want to feel like myself and I want to be the strongest, healthiest version of myself, but I'm still going to look like myself. I don't want to look back like on my wedding day. Scary, like gaunt version of myself. Yeah, exactly. And you want yeah. to look like a woman. You're getting married. Like you want to look yes. like you went through puberty and you are a woman. <laughs> totally. um, so, and also the last thing that I ever want anyone going through their wedding planning, it's really stressful. I'm not going to lie. It's not at times. It's really not fun. And that, that is when people who have past histories of eating disorders and disordered eating, that's when that voice can come back and that's when people can get triggered. So if you in turn are not nourishing your body properly, that also can be a trigger. So there's so many different triggers like in daily life and we have to try to squash them. And in order to squash like the wedding one, you need to be able to like work through that mentality. And if you're working with a dietitian or a nutritionist who whose sole care for you is to like shed weight on a scale, that's when I would encourage that person to take a step back and like re-examine what they're, wh- why they're doing what they're doing. Totally. Which is so smart. Just having that, like, as you said, moment to like step back and examine your intentions for it. Cause so many people just fall into it because they think they're supposed to fall into it. And that's the assumption, which is so fucked up. If you like really like think about it. Um, well, I love that whole thing. I love the idea that you are supposed to look like a woman for your wedding and you're supposed to be able to have energy and enjoy your wedding. I personally am not close to getting married, but I will think <laughs> back on this if and when that happens. Fingers crossed. It will. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's what you want. I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and for the last part, we are going to play a quick game of Mythbusters. I've actually played this game before. Um, 
with another expert I had on, Alice Bell. She is Vogue's resident astrologer. Um, Yeah, she's really cool. And we kind of played it with like different astrology myths. So having you on as another expert in, you know, the food and diet world, it'll be great to hear whether these are myths, which I think a lot of them are, but, you know, feel free to be like, that's actually not a myth. That's true. Um, And just kind of break it down for us simpletons. Okay. (laughs) All right. First question, because I know this is like super popular right now. And I've personally also been interested in like, is this real? Is it okay? Is it like dangerous territory for getting into an eating disorder, but intermittent fasting, is it real? Is it helpful? Or is it something we should avoid in a myth? Okay. I'm, I can't say myth or not myth for this one. <laughs> okay. That's okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to explain why, and I'll, I'll explain it very quickly. So basically the concept of intermittent fasting is that you eat a certain amount in a time window. If you eat well and nourishing foods within that time window, amazing. If you're eating processed food within that time window and filled with sugar, salt, flat made fats, then intermittent fasting is, it, it, it's not intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is when you're eating in a specific time window, but it matters the types of foods you're eating within that time window. Mm. So if you're eating like, for lack of better words, crappy food, then you, that's not nourishing your body properly, then you're not going to see the results that you want. Um, and it's not what I, the biggest myth about intermittent fasting is that you're not supposed to eat as many calories in a day. You're supposed to eat and nourish your body the exact same way you would Mm -hmm. if you weren't intermittent fasting, you're just supposed to do it in a time window. And that time window usually helps people who have issues with overeating at night or aren't great about spacing their meals throughout the day. Um, and if you eat 5,000 calories, let's say between your time window and like between, let's say like 8 a.m. and 6 p.m., if that's mm-hmm. your window or whatever it is, if you eat 5,000 calories in that window, you're still eating 5,000 calories. It's not just like because you're eating within a window that like you're then going to lose weight. So it's really yeah. at the end of the day, it's about like learning about how to nourish your body properly while losing weight and eating within that time window or not, you're likely going to lose weight if you're eating properly. Got it. Very cool. And I guess the idea behind it is that like you're giving your body the time to like kind of more fully like digest digest and process. Okay. Got it. Cool. Okay. Well, that was helpful to know. Okay. So this is like a random one. And I feel like this isn't as big of a thing now as it was when we were in like high school slash college, but egg whites are better for you than eating the entire egg. Myth. I thought so. Yeah, fuck that. Big myth, big myth. <laughs> fuck and why is that? Fuck egg whites. Um, because a lot of the nutrients are in the egg yolk. Healthy fats. Myth, guys. Eat the whole egg. No egg white omelets. Fun <laughs> Unless fact, they taste better. Choline is one of the most important nutrients for fertility. Um, and most women don't get enough choline in their diet. And a lot of women also take prenatals without choline. And the egg yolk provides you with a lot of choline. So eat eggs that's awesome that is definitely something i did not know at all although maybe i should eat less of it because i'm not trying to get pregnant no no no. and it doesn't make you more fertile it just makes you healthier it doesn't it doesn't make you it doesn't make you able to have a child it just makes you it just gives you a healthier baby 
Yes, and, yes. and makes you your body if you, if you were in the event to conceive <laughs> got it got it amazing okay there's such a thing as good fats and bad fats or healthy fats and unhealthy fats that's true okay and what would an example be of both so a saturated fat is or trans fat those are not the same but trans fat or lab made fats um, so for example, if you see like hydrogenated vegetable oil in like, for example, it's actually not in a lot of products anymore because they made it, they banned it, but you're still actually allowed fun fact to have a little bit of it. And the FDA doesn't, um, say anything about it. Like you're allowed to say zero grams, even if you do have a little bit of it. Um, but like Skippy peanut butter is an example of a company that used to use hydrogenated oil. Things that are really processed, like a lot of red meat has a lot of saturated fat. Of course, like it's really about like the amount that you eat and the quanti- the quantity you eat and the frequency in which you eat it and where your meat is sourced from. Um, a healthy fat would be like a mono or polyunsaturated fat. So that's like avocados, olive oil, nuts, seeds, things like, again, nuts, seeds, chia seeds, almonds, cashews, flax seeds, all, all things of that nature. Um, so anything what I like to say, or salmon, for example, anything that you see in like a Mediterranean style of eating mm. um, is, in my opinion, one of the best ways to be eating. That's awesome. Okay. And since you bring up, and since I am vegetarian, um, feel free to answer this truthfully. Being vegetarian is healthy. It is healthy. 100% healthy. You just have to know how to do it in the right way. Yeah. And not eat a billion carbs. like. <laughs> Right. So it's really about like, okay, like I'm a vegetarian. So what am I going to do? I'm going to fill my plate with tons of vegetables, tons of beans, protein, like tofu, tempeh, edamame, avocados, healthy fats, like avocados, nuts, Mm. seeds, olive oil, like exactly what I was saying. And you should be taking a B12 supplement likely because you can only get B12 from animal protein. So B12 is really, really important for people who are vegetarian. Yeah. There was a point where I was in my doctor's words in LA, uh, my Los Angeles doctor, who was great, she was very um, holistic, but she said that I had the lowest B12 level oh. she had ever seen at one point. I was like, oh, that's why I'm exhausted. So I started getting the shots. Yeah, the shots are life changing. Life changing. Totally recommend them. I've started getting yeah. them again because I found myself being like lower energy and they are awesome. Um, okay. And then we'll do one or two more. Oh, this one, um, I wanted to bring up because my friend Gabby, shout out Gabby. I know she listens. She's so cute. Um, but she has been living in like London and Europe since college, basically. So I just want to see if this is true. Europeans eat on the whole more healthily than Americans slash their food is on the whole less processed. Very true. Yeah. Because she was saying, she's like, she was here for the week um, to do a family reunion, whatever. And she was like, I swear to God, the second I like touch down and have like a single meal in the US, I feel 10 times more bloated than I ever do when I'm in Europe or like not in the US. Yeah. Yeah. And it even goes down to like the types of additives they're allowed to put in their food. So the UK has a, I don't know where, I forget where you said she lived, but in different London, parts of, yeah. in London. Yeah. They have different regulations of like what they're allowed to put in food. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also like, again, portion control is a huge thing. Like when you go to Italy, like 
pasta itself in its nature is not bad for you. It's like the amount and what the amount that you eat and what you put in it that mm. can then turn it into a dish that is like highly processed with lots of like sugar and salt and things of that nature. But if you go to Italy or you go somewhere in Europe that's like has the fresh pasta dish, you're going to get it in the right portion. You're going to enjoy it because it's delicious. And you're going to fill you. And it's yeah. going to fill you because it has like made with olive oil and fresh tomatoes and vegetables and things like that versus like when you go to an Italian restaurant in New York, you get like a vat of pasta that <laughs> you make that like yeah. to to Americans. Supersize is, me. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> to Americans like is now the norm, which is why, again, I mean, we have a true obesity problem. Yeah, I that makes so much sense. And OK, this is kind of a. Uh, you know, departing from the whole myth buster thing. But I feel like we've learned a ton about, you know, food and processed foods. And I know I've learned a few things from the past like 10 minutes or so. So to close out the interview, I just want to know, Ali, what is something that our listeners or people in general would otherwise not know about you? Um, well, I already said I have a twin, so I feel like that's usually the one that I use. Like, you know, when you always <laughs> had to have a fun fact in like high yeah, school or camp. Yeah. yeah, that's usually the one exactly. that I use. Um, what else? Oh, I used to take photography pretty seriously. And I actually still have like an active website. Um, but I oh used to God. print I used to print and sell my photographs. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, I remember you having a film camera for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I love when things come back to me because I always think I have such a bad memory and then like little like memories will pop up, when, especially when I'm like talking to people like you who I knew when I was younger. I'm like, yes, it comes back. It's there. Guys, there's hope. Talk to your childhood <laughs> friends. <laughs> come back. You'll remember. You'll remember everything. You'll remember. All right, Allie, this was so amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so glad we got to chat. We'll have to do coffee or drinks soon yes. or some yes, really yes, healthy yes. meal all the above. Um, do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you and follow you? Yes, for sure. Um, so if anyone wants to one work with me, by the way, you don't I work with women and men of all types. So you do not need to have disordered eating or eating disorder to work with me. In fact, a lot of my clients are more about um, like the holistic approach, um, which as we we're talking about is what we love. Um, so yeah, follow me on Instagram at eat, eat.by.ally. I'm actually working on rebranding. So hopefully by the time this comes out, um, that will also be live, which will be called Well by Ally. Um, so if you can't find me at Eat by Ally, it'll be Well by Ally and DM me to work with me or you can reach out to Caitlin and you can get my information from her. Yes. So everyone go follow her. And as always, follow me at CKNY1213 and at WTF SUP Pod. All right. Thank you, Allie. Bye. Thank you.